Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Thank you for listening to the podcast today, brought to you as ever by The Athletic UK. And in today's podcast, we're going to be looking ahead to Sunday's game against Liverpool at Craven Cottage as we welcome fans back to SW6. It's been a long eight months since we watched Fulham live in the flesh. But on Sunday, 2,000 supporters will be back in the ground and we absolutely love to see it. Uh, we're going to be talking to Chair of the Fulham Supporters Trust, Tom Greatrex, all about the return of fans to Craven Cottage and what it will be like if you are one of the lucky few thousand to be going. Uh, here to chat about the game and the return of fans to the cottage is Peter Rutzler. Hello. And Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. How are we doing? Yeah, all right. All right. Cannot complain. It's... Um... It's a, it's a match week and we've uh, I've got a ticket for Brighton Sam so I'm I'm over the moon mate and you've just found out it's Wednesday not Tuesday from my intro I have just found that out yeah um, <laughs> I went back to playing football last night for the first time in, in, in a while actually like 11 aside football and it was um, one my legs are screaming today but but two I really enjoyed myself and was really looking forward to going back next week so I am actually a little bit devastated to find out the game is Wednesday but any excuse to uh, to get back to the cottage I will take gleefully so so here we are well I'm not going to mention it too many times in this podcast but I haven't got a ticket for either match so um, I'm a little bit I'm a little bit bitter today so if it, if it comes across on the podcast uh, my apologies um, first of all chaps let's look ahead to Sunday's game it's normally at this point that we do a bit of a look back Back at the previous game but I think the Man City game is gone there was barely enough to talk about on Sunday's podcast so um, we won't divulge into it here it was a pretty nothing game we lost 2-0 and so I think let's move forward um, Peter another really really difficult game uh, against Liverpool runaway champions last year not having quite such an easy time of it this campaign but still going to be an almighty task to get um, three points or even a point yeah, I've been I've been impressed with Liverpool actually. I mean, obviously they're <laughs> the champions, so you would be. But considering the injuries they've had and the way they've they cope with them and the results they've had in the meantime, you know their back their back line's been devastated. Obviously, they're without Van Dijk. Um, Allison's been injured too. Um, so the fact that they've come through those games with really positive results, they're very much breathing down Tottenham's neck at the top of the table. Um, you know, it's gonna it's gonna it's not gonna be any less of a challenge despite everything else that's been going on around them. You know, Jürgen Klopp's been making his points very clear about um, the congestion of fixtures and, and, and things like that. And, you know, it's not surprising consider considering the injuries they've had. But, you know, despite all of that, they're, uh, you know, they're still flying very strong. And obviously for Fulham, it's going to be a tough challenge. And hopefully the the 12th man can, can make the difference. Uh, it's going to be very exciting. I'm looking forward to seeing so many uh, Fulham fans in the stadium for the first time. So... Uh, first time as a reporter I would say I've been to Cottage a few times before but it's uh, yeah I'm looking forward to it Jack I think it's going to have a big impact on the players on on Sunday it's been a long time that they'll have got used to playing without crowds and Fulham have done pretty well without crowds haven't we we've we've won a playoff final and we won playoff games and actually haven't had too bad a start to the season considering where we were but it's definitely going to give those players a lift and you know, no, no away fans at all in the ground. So all the support will be will be towards the home side, and and that can only be positive, surely. 
Yeah, and I think there's there's such a, a funny thing at play here, right? Where two thousand fans at the cottage seems like more than two thousand fans at an Old Trafford or an Anfield, right? Because of the way that the the ground is obviously a little bit smaller and and it'll be a little bit more enclosed and you're a little bit on top of the pitch. Two thousand fans can make a lot of noise. And we've seen managers say that they've been surprised by how much noise has been made by a two thousand, right? And we've noticed it on the telly. Obviously it's not going to be that all encompassing roar or any of those things, but there is, you know, a lot of noise that can be made by those people and especially for Fulham where the fans are you know kind of equally split between the Hammersmith end and the Putney end you know there's going to be you know fans at both goals to attack and that's got to be a positive right you know you got there's going to be a little bit of stereo sound in in some ways and also you're going to have fans like willing you on towards either goal which is a brilliant thing for Fulham and and I think that will help if I'm being perfectly honest I think it's a, an important important kind of element of this I mean so many people are just so excited to be back at the cottage and, and obviously I, I can't wait to to really get back at it and get into it but it's just a really, really exciting time, I think, to be to be there. Obviously, it's going to have constraints. Obviously, it's going to have, you know, different elements of it that aren't perfect. The obviously having to be there early for games and not being able to get a drink at half time and all of these things. But ultimately, this is about being back supporting the lads, and and I think it will you know, be a massive difference and not, you know, at the weekend, obviously it's a massively tough game and we're playing the champions who come in a great run of form. That's, you know, since that Villa blip in, 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 in earlier in the season that we, we've seen them kind of rebound really hard and, and have found their groove again. They've seemed to have got through their tough patch. Um, and, and it's going to be an incredibly difficult game to get anything out of at the weekend, but Brighton, you know, three days later, you're looking at as going, that was a game that we all looked at and said, that's something we need to be targeting as a game we need to get points out of. You know, we want to be winning that massively, but we definitely can't be losing it if we're if we're confident about getting out of the relegation scrap this year. And I think fans under the lights there on Wednesday is going to be absolutely magnificent and, and a massive bonus to Fulham. Uh, Peter, we saw against Leicester that Fulham took advantage of, of Leicester's fatigue after playing in Europe in midweek. And even in the Man City game, although obviously it didn't go our way, you saw Man City really tire out towards the end of the second half against us. For, uh, fortunately for them, I think they were just about in a commanding enough lead to, to make sure that it wasn't too much of an issue for them. But you could really see them really starting to fatigue at the end of that game. Quite surprising then, especially given what Jurgen Klopp has been saying, um, most particularly towards Des Kelly of BT Sport, that um, last night um, they went to Denmark and played Alexander-Arnold for the full 90 minutes, played Salah for the full 90 minutes, Minutes, played Diogo Jota for 87 minutes. It wasn't a first team by any stretch. Played um, Henderson and Robertson for half an hour. It wasn't a full strength Liverpool side, but it's it's going to be a little bit of an advantage for Fulham that we, we're going to have that extra few days rest on on some of their key players. I was quite surprised to see to see Salah and Jota in particular feature last night. Um, it was a bit of a dead rubber of a game and, and not one you'd want to use those players. I think. Salah maybe that he's trying to put minutes into his legs after the the, the coronavirus absence he had um, last month. So yeah, that does that does bode well for Fulham, and that that's the advantage when you're taking on teams like like uh, Liverpool and, and City when when they've been busy in, in European competition. I think with the the City game was a strange one. The fact that Guardiola, you know, said afterwards that he didn't want to take any players off, so he didn't use any subs because he wants to sort of rotate in that way. Um, but I think Raheem Sterling came on during the week as well. Uh, so it kind of begs the question a little bit, you know, if, if Fulham had managed to keep things tighter at the start of the game, then, you know, we might have had a, a much more exciting contest and, and 
especially a city tired towards the end um, and, and potentially, you know, maybe even a, a mix something. Um, but yeah, look, look, you know, we, we know the qualities that, that the Liverpool have in their team, especially in their front line and, and trying to keep it tight, trying to find a, a formula to, to, to stop them scoring is, is going to be important. Now, you know, we've seen that, that Scott Parker likes to, likes to, to be pragmatic. He was very pragmatic against City with that very unusual sort of setup, that 5-2-3 and with Loftus-Cheek. Like, I, I wouldn't say he was a centre-forward. I think he was more of a sort of an advanced midfielder, but they just had no one as that focal point. And Parker talked about split strikers, which was a, which was a new one f- for me in terms of having Lookman and Cavalero wide, but then really narrow in possession. And it didn't quite work. You know, City have got so much quality, they were able to play around it. Um, it'll be interesting to see if, if, if Parker find some new formula for for Liverpool or maybe just goes back to the the setup against against Leicester where you know Bobby Decker Reed has to play that hybrid role and um switching between attack and defense and, and keeping the two blocks which seem to work so well at the King Power and and maybe we'll see that at Craven Cottage and I this is the thing about fans being back as well does that change the dynamic does that change the dynamic the the mentality of the teams they go into it will having that support mean that the idea of them sitting back and becomes a bit harder to to implement do does that mean that Fulham go back to that progressive style because they're at home and they're at home with fans um so it'll be interesting to see how that affects it well this is something I mentioned on on Sunday's podcast and we were talking about Mitrovic and the fact that he hasn't got into the side for the last three games and and I said I would start Mitrovic against Liverpool for the pure fact that I've always felt that Mitrovic more than other players feeds off the crowd and he loves it when they when they chant his name and he seems to grow um, especially when he's got a goal and things like that I I would potentially use Mitrovic because I think the crowd will, will fuel him but Jack it's such an interesting question and Peter's raised it perfectly that I actually don't know what Scott Parker does here because it was effective that formation against Leicester with with the kind of counter-attacking system but we're also going into a home game with fans and against a Liverpool side that is depleted in in some areas as well. I mean, it's still a very, very strong side. So I think Parker's got some tough choices to make as to what he does on Sunday. Yeah, um, obviously we've we've seen that more reactive style come in and, and the kind of counter-attacking elements to Fulham's play be be kind of beefed up in, in many ways by the omission of, of Mitrovic and Kearney as well. And Part of me thinks that we will go back to to something more resembling what we knew before in this home game. Um, but the the flip of that is, what do you do against a Brighton side? Because there is a an element of the Brighton game where you think, right, we try and dominate that game, right? We would try and we try and beat Brighton by outworking them, out outplaying them, and keeping the ball. And I don't know if that's what we'll do against Liverpool. So I think there's there's kind of elements of this that are at play in that. If you look at what Loftus-Cheek did in the last game against Man City and you looked at how he played first half, especially with his back to goal, uh, playing uh, contesting aerial duels, you'd imagine that Mitrovic would be as good a fit for that, if not better, against the Liverpool side, which are a little bit shaky in the air, you know, at the back of Fabinho and uh, obviously is, is going to be in there. You'd, you'd imagine you're going to target that side of Fabinho and Nico Williams, who I think will play ahead of Trent, given that Trent played 90 minutes midweek. Um, and I think that the kind of game for that, and obviously I, I spoke to the Anfield Raps, Neil, Neil Atkinson earlier, and he was basically saying that the, the point is that they think they're going to keep all the players rotating so that they're fresh for this Tottenham game. With all due respect to Fulham, you know, the, the, the Liverpool squad, 
they believe is good enough to to win those to win this game, and they think that Nico Williams will probably play at right back, which means that that's the side you're targeting, right? You get Mitrovic and Lookman up against Nico Williams and Fabinho, and and you try and win those battles. And if you can do that, then maybe Fulham have a puncher's chance. Uh, so I would imagine we might see Mitrovic uh, instead of Loftus Cheek and go back to the kind of four at the back that allows Bobby Reed to kind of play almost directly against Andy Robertson, which is an incredibly interesting battle mm. in so many different ways. But that's what I would, I think we might see. I think Fulham might just return. We're not going to completely change up our style. I imagine we're still going to be looking to be reactive. It's going to be Lookman and Bobby Reed that are going to look to bounce and attack those spaces. But if if we can do that and and make sure that we're we're getting in behind there, then then I think that there might be some some a place for Mitrovic because I think he will be able to to go man for man against that Liverpool defence and come out on top. I agree with Jack on that. I think, you know, it was interesting asking Parker about Mitrovic's role and whether he can sort of fit into that counter-attacking setup, which quite clearly he's, in these last games anyway, he's preferred the the quicker players, the players who can stretch back lines more, I think he described Cavalero, um, but then still said that Mitrovic had a role to play. And I just wonder if this is the kind of game for that. Because as Jack says, that's a back line that's without Van Dijk. I mean, Alisson may not play, so you may have Kelleher behind there. So you're not having a recognised defence. You want someone who's going to really cause some problems. Mitrovic is so loud, as you say, and, and he does thrive off the crowd, but he's loud anyway. He's always complaining and, and geeing people up, and that's big. And it's it's just that whole persona, that presence, that sort of aura. And you just wonder if that could have a really big impact in a game like this. And as you, as, as Jack mentioned, you know, with, with Loftus-Cheek sort of playing that half-centre-forward, half, half half-not role, he, was en- he did end up competing for those sort of aerial duels and, in that sort of scenario, you think, well, maybe, maybe Mitrovic can do that and bring some of the quicker players, maybe bring Dekot Overeed up the pitch and Cavalero and, 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 and Lookman, especially, especially down that right-hand side for Liverpool, um, that he can make a big difference. So really interested to see if he, if he comes back into the team. And I guess with Mitrovic as well, Mitrovic is famous for taking a lot of shots. And if you look at his statistics, he, he takes a lot of shots and his conversion rate isn't always the best, but against a, if it is Kelleher in goal and he seems to have deputized pretty well, um, for, for Allison, but someone like Mitrovic taking a lot of shots against an untested goalkeeper. Again, you hope that things might fall in Fulham's favour. But I think we do have to remember that this Liverpool side swept past Wolves last week, Jack, uh, an, an unbelievable Premier League side with considerable ease. Yes, it was at Anfield, but Liverpool are no mugs. They also beat Leicester 3-0 a few weeks ago as well. Like They are depleted, but they are coping admirably with their injury problems. Yeah, absolutely. And and they're still an incredibly a good side, an incredibly good side who would beat most teams with their second team. You know, th- this is a very talented unit that's been based and, and molded by Klopp over the last couple of years. And, you know, you see these people come into different roles and you look at the likes of a Nico Williams or, you know, these player Curtis Jones in midfield who've, who've just slotted in like they've always played there. And that's impressive, right? Yes, it doesn't mean that those people are infallible. I think there is there is weaknesses in both of their games. But it, it means that they are still, you know, very, very, very good players at this level and who are more than capable of playing, you know, in these kind of games and winning them. And I think that we, we'd be mad to, to write off players, the likes of Cueve and Kelleher, you know, in, in terms of, yes, he's had two really good games in goal, kept two clean sheets and, and was excellent. He was a little bit suspect for the Michelin penalty in, in, mid, in midweek. And, and that, that will be something that Fulham will probably try and look at. But, 
you know, he's a very comfortable shot stopper and someone who's proved his worth over the last couple of games. I don't think there's there's any kind of doubt about that. And when you look at all of those things in in tandem, it's going to take a, an exceptionally good performance from Fulham to to beat a Liverpool side even under strength. And you look at the centre-back pairing, which you assume is going to be you know, Matip and Fabinho. You'd imagine Andy Robertson is going to play. Nico Williams probably on the right. It can be one of you know, Cater, probably, you'd imagine, would sit in the middle with, with Wijnaldum and Henderson. And the fact that Firmino and Mane both didn't play in the Champions League suggests that they will start with, I assume, Diogo Jota, considering Salah played a full 90. You'd imagine he might start off the bench. And given all of these different elements, that's still an incredibly talented, incredibly good team that Fulham are going to have to work exceptionally hard to get anything out of and and yes we we shouldn't go into games fearing them because we are a Premier League team and we need to look at every game in a in a sense that we think okay we're going to try and get you know stay in the game and and get something out of it we are not a league two team playing Liverpool in in the cup you know we we are in this division for a reason and we need to compete with these sides but you also have to look at it realistically and be like the chances of Fulham going out there and absolutely blitzing Liverpool to death are, are small because you know ultimately they are a better side than us and we have to work incredibly hard to to, to rectify that deficit, but it's not impossible. Well, as we spoke about, fans are returning to Craven Cottage on Sunday. So I took the opportunity to chat to Tom Greatrex, who I'm sure you'll know as chair of the Fulham Supporters Trust, and uh, he's been on Fulhamish several times uh, in the past couple of years. Uh, and I just started off by asking him what the state of play is with the current ticket application. Well, Tom, uh, thanks for joining Fulhamish. Um, let's start off by kind of assessing the state of play at the moment. Uh, it looks like the Liverpool tickets and Brighton tickets have been allocated. Uh, what's, the, what's the latest um, from, from where you see and where the club is at um, giving out these uh, tickets for, for the upcoming three games? Yeah, so people who were successful in the ballot for either Liverpool or Brighton should know by now. It's worth just double... If you haven't heard, it's worth double-checking your spam bit of your junk mail of your inbox just in case. And also that it comes from uh, Ticketmaster as opposed to Fulham. If you you know if you get hundreds of emails and you're looking for Fulham one, it'll say Ticketmaster in it. But yes, pretty much um, that is the case. The Southampton game um, hasn't yet been drawn and allocated. The number of applications there were in the ballot and it's complicated by the fact that a number of them are multiple, you know, groups of five, four, three, and two in households. Um, but the overall number of applications is probably slight, just a little bit below the overall number of tickets available. So um, the club confirmed to us in the meeting on Monday that everybody who applied will get a ticket for one of those games. The issue with the Southampton game possibly, though, could be if there are changes in tiers both in terms of London, but also potentially other areas of the country where even if London's not in tier three, people who had applied are from might complicate those those numbers. So um, I think that's partly the reason why they said they'll let people know on the 18th of December on that one, because by then obviously we'll know what the tiers are for the period over Christmas. And that's just a circumstance they have to try to deal with, I think. And, and I guess there is a risk that with the Brighton game that we could have a tier change in London by then. It feels like it might just be safe, but there's surely that possibility that the club are having to work on as well. Well, I think actually with the, the review is happening on the 16th. So on the 16th, which is the day of the Brighton game, it may well be that tier 
tiers of people going into our announce, but they might not, not take effect for the next day or two. So we think the 16th should be okay. Um, but, you know, you never know. Okay. It's a changing situation. And obviously, Fulham Supporters Trust, from, from what I can tell, have been instrumental in liaising with the club and advising um, different options. Um, what has your thoughts been on the way that the club has handled this ballot process? I, I think we can all definitely understand that it's not been easy for them they've had this thrown at them last minute like like everyone has at the moment in all walks of life so uh, from your opinion as the chair of the Fulham Supporters Trust what has your review been of how the club has handled the ballot application? Yeah I mean I think the first thing I would say is that it is a very challenging situation to deal with and it's not just about the timescales the guidance from Premier League from local authority all those things change and they only got the confirmation of the numbers uh, on Monday, so they couldn't really do it any quicker than that. The final numbers and the final numbers are, as we know, two thousand eleven hundred in the Hammersmith, there nine hundred in the Putney End, um, and of those two thousand seventeen hundred are general admission, i.e., normal tickets. It's about two to three hundred that are either people who bought seasonal hospitality or the ones that sponsors, um, officials and journalists and everything else are in the sort of Johnny Haynes stand, and they don't count towards that two thousand. Um, I think mostly they've done pretty well. I think, you know, firstly on the price point of £40, um, you know, we uh, might remember back in uh, ahead of when we thought we could kind of go back in October, we made the point about not overcharging for that and compared to what some other clubs are charging. I think that's not too bad at all. And actually, you know, if you were buying famously uh, a ticket for uh, a match day ticket behind the goal two seasons ago in the Premier League for Liverpool game would have been £55. The Brighton game would have been £45. So experience isn't exactly the same, obviously. But um, so I think that's I think that's reasonable, and I don't think they have too many complaints about that. Um, I think that you know doing it on the debate about whether you did it on loyalty points, which I know you've talked about before, or amongst season ticket holders. Actually, I think in this situation, you've got to try to be as fair to as many as you can, and. Uh, you know, season ticket holders who bought a season ticket for a season post-relegation, there are not going to be very many who bought their first season ticket that year. But I would say, you know, that's probably a pretty good definition of a of a reasonably loyal base that will be turning up to home matches. Um, and there are problems with the loyalty point system as well in terms of how they've been acquired and some of the people that have got them in terms of touts and various other things. So, you know, I think that was probably the right, right course. I know it doesn't suit everybody, but... Um, I think it's, it's probably fair. Uh, the only thing that we were surprised by and have been have given feedback on um, that's uh, to suggest doing it differently was doing three games in one ballot without being able to specify which game. Nobody else has done it like that. You've either done individual ballots or where they've done ballots together, you specify which game. And if you don't get one, you go into the next one. Um, and particularly when you've got fixtures like these three, where one's a weekend, one's a midweek, one's a bank holiday. There's, you know, there's people who in normal times with their season ticket may well have been able to go to gone to two and not the third. You know, quite often, I think probably Boxing Day game, if we have a home game, is the one where most season tickets get passed on to other people. And you obviously can't do that because of track and trace. So, and to be fair to them, they did, the club did say look, that, you know, they're learning from the experience um, and they may adjust the way they do it in the future. And we sort of very strongly said that it would be better to try to do 
what other clubs have done uh, to give people maximise their opportunity to be able to go to a game. So it may well be that when we get to the next next set of games, they're done slightly differently. And I think that's that's fair enough from the club. Actually, they've listened. Um, they've acknowledged there's it's not ideal and they're looking at ways of doing it in the future. I guess one advantage of the way they've done it, and this is much more by accident than design, it sounds like, is that at least everyone that applied for those three games will get to it. So effectively, they have rewarded those that decided to go for the ballot and put their name in. And most people that really wanted a ticket would do anything to go to these games and would go to any match at a drop of a hat, have at least been rewarded by by at least getting a ticket for a match if the Southampton game goes ahead. And obviously we, we spoke about that earlier, but I do very much get your point. And I know three or four people who have all said pretty much the same thing. I can't go to the Boxing Day game because I'm planning on visiting family, hit this there and there. And therefore I didn't want to apply because I didn't want to end up with a ticket that I then couldn't use denying a, another fan opportunity and also 40 pounds down the drain. So I, I think certainly there seems like learnings to, to be made on that, but seems like the club have taken it on board um for those lucky enough to have a ticket for sunday's game tom what's the experience gonna be like obviously we saw a bit of a a test run last weekend with uh, three or four premier league games being played with fans in the stadium it looked like queues it looked like temperature checks it looked like photo id uh, presumably all the same kind of stuff's going to be in place at craven cottage yeah, it's it's match day, but not as we know it. Um, depending on which block you're in, you'll have to turn up uh, early. Um, if you're in some blocks, it's an hour and a half, and another, I think it's 45 minutes ahead of kickoff. Um, obviously, you'll be as you would have seen at other grounds. You'll be spaced, so unless you're in a in a group, a household group, you won't be able to sit next to anybody. You have to sit in your assigned seats, and there'll be empty seats around you. Uh, unfortunately, at Fulham. Because of the nature of how small the concourses are, there won't be any catering available. So uh, bring your own, um, which you can do, uh, not alcoholic, but other, you know, hot or cold drinks and something to eat, you can do that. But they've asked that you do that in a clear plastic bag so you don't have to be searched. Um, uh, And um, you will have to bring photo ID and that will be checked. Um, And that's all to do with track and trace, um, basically, you know, club part of the condition of doing this is that the tickets are with the people that that have got them so they know who was in the ground so if they ever have to come back to track and trace and deal with anything um there, there aren't there aren't gaps in that and they're not unwittingly potentially spreading the virus or anything like that so that's why all those conditions are in place so you know for those of you who are going on sunday and probably tuesday it might be a bit cold um so i'd um, sound like people's mother here but you know i'd wrap up warm <laughs> take something to eat and drink and uh, something to occupy yourself for an hour or so before before kickoff and face masks yeah face masks were required in in the ground again that was discussed at the safety advisory group which is the local authority group which mike greg is uh, a supporters representative on for Hampton and fulham um, and again that is more to do with uh potential for people being closer than one meter to each other in the concourses and getting into the areas but it's recommended you still have the face mask on during the game uh, as well, which might help you keep you a little bit warmer. Um, but yes, you will need to wear your face masks. Um, and there will be clappers. Oh, there will be clappers. That's good to hear. There and will be clappers. <laughs> well, you know what? We, we are Fulham and thank the Lord that that is going to be uh, in place for, for the three games. And there was talk 
when this is all being mooted about you couldn't sing, you couldn't stand, you couldn't celebrate. I presume that's not going to be the case that like we, we can sing Mitro's on fire if we want to. Yeah. I mean, it may be slightly muffled if you're wearing your mask, but I'm sure you can make yourself, those who are adept to this can make themselves heard. I mean, I think there was a bit of mischief with that. It was um, actually some press reports of a, of a document which wasn't actually guidance, which was suggesting you couldn't sing or stand or whatever you can. Um, I think, you know, the public health advice is to be aware that singing without a mask um, risks more spread, you know, through um, air spreading of a virus. But you've got your mask on, you'll have empty seats surrounding you. Um, I think make as much noise as you can. Uh, um, with or without the clappers. Well, thank you very much to Tom as ever for giving up his time. Uh, Very interesting to hear what it's going to be like for those that are going to be in attendance on Sunday. Football, but not as we know it uh, were his words, but I'm sure we'll all just be grateful to be back inside our beloved Craven Cottage. Uh, We're going to take a quick break and afterwards we're going to be chatting all things Tom Kearney. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here. I'm joined by Peter Rutzler. Hello. And Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. Peter, you wrote a piece today on Tom Kearney. Uh, You can read it now on the Athletic app. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Fulham pod if you want to subscribe. Uh, And Peter, it was a really enjoyable interview with Tom. Uh, It was headlined, we're not naive like two years ago. We've got the quality to stay up. And what just struck me was the real positivity that came through from it. And if you listen to us in part one against Liverpool, here we are talking about how we can maybe get a point against Liverpool, how we potentially could work our side in order to expose Liverpool's weaknesses. And given where we were at the start of the season, given where we were two years ago when we came up, the fact that us as fans have got that positivity is really quite something to to behold. And and it's clear that uh, the players have that same positivity. Uh, And Tom Kearney, Seems like a changed man from from a few years ago. Yeah, no, definitely. It's it's pretty evident that you know that that that, that was what Tom felt, and also you know we've we've heard Scott Parker say repeatedly about the narrative and how things compare to two years ago, and it's it's clearly something that's also felt within the dressing room. Um, but not just that, not just this sense of oh, it's going to be different this time because of how it all panned out two years ago. But as you as you mentioned before, you know. Kenny says that they were a little bit naive coming into the Premier League campaign last time, perhaps riding the wave of the excellent run of form that, that took them into the division the way they wanted to play. But it's almost like they feel a bit more streetwise. Mm-hmm. And he references the win against Leicester, you know, a game that he didn't he didn't start himself. But he says that wasn't a performance they you would have seen two years ago. Um, and then, of course, there's the quality within the team as well. But the fact that, you know, that, that Kenny does feel that way and he himself, you know, says he has a point to prove because he had an injury during the 2018-19 season and he broke his foot. He feels he never quite was able to to show his best during that time. So, you know, it, you come away with the impression that there are, you know, while there are the risks, of, you know, the the potholes, if you, if you were, of that, of that, of that year, um, there are those who've come through it and have learned from it. Parker for one and then clearly Kenny as as captain and it was it was really interesting talking to Tom actually because you know he's a, a an interesting point in his career because he is 30 next month and that seems kind of strange for someone like Kenny who is you know he's quite young at heart he's quite light-hearted easygoing um baby face, really isn't he? him, yeah yeah you, you don't really see him as being this sort of uh senior pro in, in the dressing room but 
you know, there is that that sort of side to him. And, you know, obviously off the field as well, he's, he's had a young son and he talks about becoming a father and, and that, that's all those, those sort of changes and, and, and those experiences have, have sort of shaped him. And, uh, and of course, as, as captain of the club. So it's interesting really just sort of picking into that and how he's grown really. And while, you know, seeing Fulham as, as always being his home, he does feel very, very settled. And, and that really did, did come across. As someone approaching 30 myself, I, I must admit, Peter, the, the whole article, it was just made me anxious about what's to come. <laughs> it sounded like there was some big life-changing moment on the way and you can't do anything once the once you have a three at the beginning of your age. So um, I'm definitely going to try and make the most of my next year on this planet. Um, it, it was really nice, though, to, just to hear and be positive. And, and how was he just generally on, during the interview? Because I imagine when you have to meet a player on zoom it's it's not quite the same atmosphere but as as far as the piece was written peter he, he seemed to come across just like a really genuine nice bloke zoom's a weird one isn't it like you know when when especially when you do interviews you you, you kind of want to take cues off of people's body language and and things like that and that can make it difficult because essentially it's a barrier it's like looking for a window and trying to communicate with someone um but as you say, that there was no issue with that. Tom's a really easy guy to talk to. He's very funny. Um, he, he answers every question. You know, he's enthusiastic, and, um, and that that's part of his personality. And I think that that comes across generally, and that sort of positive sort of nature. You know, it, it's probably a good thing for the, for the dressing room itself. You know, he talks about being able to relate quite well to younger generations, even though there is that that, that gap now, quite a considerable one in, in age, which is, seems to have snuck on him, snuck up on him a little bit. Um but you really did get a get a sense of that. And you know, it was it did feel very much like conversation. And I think that 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 does come across. You know, sometimes it can be quite formal quite formal, as you would, you know, if it's for someone you've never spoken to before and especially in a interview environment. But no, it was it was it was very natural, very like laid back guy and um, that, that, you know, that bodes well for the current, current, um, the current situation with, with the team anyway, you know, the, the fact that they feel that way and, and then the positive direction that the, that the team are going in. Uh, Jack, it's, he speaks about TC, the fact that in the last 10 games of the season, we went down, he felt like he started to find his form in the premier league, but also says that once you relegated nobody cares it, it was a weird season for Tom but and and I think last season was a bit of a weird season for him as well it took he started really well then kind of faded away but um, came into the side more at the end Tom has had a very interesting five and a half years at Craven Cottage he's, he's been there such a long time it's almost easy to forget but almost this season I feel like we're seeing a new side to Tom Kearney to, to a point, I think maybe we're seeing the best of the Tom Kearney that, that people have in their minds as well. You know, we, we see those games where he played higher up and played as a 10 and we're kind of pulling back to the, the Tom Kearney of old who was able to get on the ball in the opposition half and, and pull the strings. And he speaks in the interview about the way that his position has changed and playing a little bit deeper and getting the ball a little bit more. And, and I think it's all quite interesting because, you know, obviously in the Premier League, Fulham are going to have less of the ball than we've seen in the championship and him playing deeper and, and getting more of the ball is is one thing but we've seen those better performances I think from him higher up the pitch and he says he you know sees himself as, as more of an attacking player and I think it's true you know we you look to get the best out of people and, and Tom Kenny's best work has always been done in, in a sense of, of being around the opposition box of pulling passes of scoring those goals from outside the box but also of, of being you know the kind of fulcrum that the side functions around in in both an, an emotional sense in some way 
ways and you look back to the the Leeds goal and all of those things but also in a in a tactical sense and you know it, it's a funny one because I think that his role this year is going to change and this is, is a big test of of his captaincy as much as as anything else right in terms of you look at these games where we're going to play more reactively more on the break and you know I thought he should have played against Man City I stand by that I think that he, he would have been more effective in that middle role than, than Ruben Loftus-Cheek was but uh, you know, he's going to be tested now in, in games that he doesn't come on and his relationship with Scott Parker is going to be tested. And it's it's on him as well as, as as everyone else that when he does come back into the side in games that we are going to control the ball, we are going to play a little bit more, that that he is that, you know, that leader in terms of what he's doing on the field, but also that he, he hits the ground running and, and makes sure that the side, you know, a, as a whole is is performing to the best of his ability because that's what a captain does. And And I think we're seeing a little bit more maturity um in 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 this interview especially you know you talk about those different things and and his kind of uh, approach to everything and i thought it was just really nice and refreshing to see you know the the whole sense of it and when he talks about ryan sessignon coming in and him being 10 years older than him and going <laughs> oh wow like i don't you know i don't remember even thinking about that when i was your age but you know i think we've seen the best of tom kearney and i hope that you know, this season, his, his role, like we say, is going to change and we're going to see more and more of him playing, you know, I think in a rotational system that allows different elements of Fulham to thrive. That's part of, you know, the adaptability and versatility that you need to survive this year. But hopefully, I think that we're seeing a side of him that allows that to be, you know, to, to then bring the best out of him when he is playing. Because, you know, bear in mind, he's had... You know, difficult time with injuries over the last couple of seasons. You know that 2018-19 season, perhaps most of all, you know where he was playing with injections, with painkillers, all of these different things that were spoken about at the end of the season. But actually, you know that little bit of rotation, that little bit more rest, and and you know as his as body kind of changes as well into this senior part of his career is potentially something that will help him out. And I hope that over the course of that, it means that when we do see Tom Kearney, we're seeing the best of him and the you know the captain and and leader on the pitch that that for, that he has been and that we can, he can be for Fulham. Peter, one of the kind of conclusions that I made after reading the article was he talked about how Fulham have won the playoffs twice under his leadership. He's captained the team twice and how, you know, that is a massive achievement, what he did. And we we can't look past that, but almost that he's got two ambitions really left. First is to keep Fulham in the Premier League and, and that to him is it would be a massive milestone if it could be achieved. But also there was a talk of an international call-up and that's something that we've mentioned previously on this podcast about how Kearney would would suit the Scotland side going into the Euros and um, it was interesting to hear him actually talk about that. Yeah, no, I, I asked him about Scotland because, you know, as, as we were saying before, it's, you know, he's, a, he's got two caps for them, both in friendly competitions, but hasn't really been in the fold these last couple of years. And, you know, he, he left the door open on that. You know, he, he's very keen. He'd love to play in, play in the European Championships. But I think there's also, there's also a realism to, to that as well from, from Tom in, in that while, you know, he'd love to play in that tournament, you know, there are players who've got the got the team into the championships in the first place uh, there's some good competition in in those areas and you kind of got that sense too um I think it's something he'd, he'd like to do but you know he's, he's not holding out any sort of great expectation that was at least my impression from 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 his answer anyway um but I mean that's only can only be a good thing for, for Fulham that he has there is that alternative as well that 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 constant drive that goes beyond just just the club but 
you know, th- there is something to be said for for what the club now means to Tom. You know, one of the, the things I think was one of the first things I asked him was how, you know, how much of a home is, is Fulham now to him? I think I even asked him if he's a, a southerner now because of, you know, he's obviously been here the last five years and <laughs> he'll be here for a few years more. And he, he did stress he's an adopted southerner rather than, rather than, uh, <laughs> rather than abandoning his, his northern roots. But, um, you know, this Fulham really is a part of who he is now. And, you know, obviously he's got his young family and he's very much settled, settled down here. And, you know, he talks about some of the friends he's been able to make um, with the club, even players who who have left now. And the, all of that tied in with the, the nature of the club and the, 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 the family field, the, the stadium, the training ground, all of that um, has helped him to feel like it is his sort of home. And um, that sort of builds that connection. You know, he, he does talk warmly about the fans and is very much looking forward to, to having fans back on, on Sunday as well. So he, in terms of his motivation and things, you know, he, he's very much a, a Fulham, Fulham lad, isn't he? And, and I guess, Jack, with fans returning on Sunday, we obviously talked about it in part one. Um, we don't know if Tom Kearney will be playing, but it'd be really nice to see him lead out the Fulham team again on, on Sunday. Do you think he potentially gets back into Scott Parker's starting lineup? I'd be really interested. Um, I, I think that we will see Tom Kearney start at least one of the two games this week. That would be my guess. Um, I'm not sure which it will be, but I think he will start one of these two games, like either against Liverpool or against Brighton. Um, and uh, look, it's going to be it's going to be an interesting period to see what happens here with with Scott and and with TC basically about how we're going to set up for these games at home. And and that's what we're all waiting on. Right. Because we've seen how we can set up a way, uh, you know, the reactive style, that ability to, to hit them on the break. And and maybe Tom doesn't quite fit that as well as he, he perhaps used to. You know, he is one of these players who likes to to slow the game down a little bit and, and play the right pass and, and keep hold of the ball and, and look after it. And all of those are, you know, exceptionally valuable traits. That's not a that's not a dig by any stretch of the imagination. It's just a, a different way to, to how we've played in the last two games. Now, how we're going to set up at home is, is, a, is a potentially very different animal. And, and I think we'll learn a lot about what Tom Kenny's role for Fulham this season is going to be over the course of this next week. Brighton's a really interesting game, isn't it? Because the way Graham Potter's got his team playing, they're very much a, a forward-thinking team, very progressive football. I mean, they, I mean, we, I, in terms of <laughs> expected goals and things like that, they're uh, they're vastly underperforming where they should be. They, they've really not been rewarded for their performances as, so far this year. Um, but then again, if you're playing nice football and not scoring goals, that's also a sign of a team that's in trouble. So it works both ways. But in terms of how Fulham set up, as Jack was saying, do Fulham then want to impose their style on 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 Brighton, pin them back, see if they can do that, or do they stick with that reactive reactive style? And that really does affect, I think, how Tom Kearney is, is used. I think he's he's so good when when Fulham are playing on the front foot and want to dictate games and and move the ball quickly and at tempo and. And, and try and and unpick a and pick a block. Um, I think that's where he's at his best. So, whether you know how 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 Scott Parker and how Fulham see the best way to get a result against Brighton will be will be really really interesting. Uh, you mentioned the expected goals table. That was a piece that came out in the Athletic early this week, Peter. And uh, what were your conclusions in, from a, from a Fulham point of view? Looked like we were about right in terms of our position in the table but there were some definitely some interesting takes in terms of the whole Premier League yeah I mean some interesting takes that was Michael Cox's piece and you know obviously he talks about Tottenham and 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 also Sheffield United and that they've 
been massively underperforming where they where they should be. Um, I think from a Fulham perspective, it sort of got glossed over a little bit. So it'd be nice just to just to reference that you know that the fact that Fulham are actually underperforming a little bit, underperforming their their expected goals. In other words, um, you know they if they take if they taken their chances, not conceded the goals that they shouldn't have conceded. Um, then they may be higher and slightly higher in the table and, and perhaps in a more comfortable position, you know, which isn't really a surprise, I think, when you consider the penalties that have been missed. Um, but just, just had a, I had a quick look at the, the more specific stats for Fulham just before, before the podcast on, on how Fulham are doing. And, you know, in attack, we're looking at an expected goals total of 13.7, roughly, about, about 14 if you round it up, which is about mid-table in the Premier League. It's about 12 uh, on current rankings. Which is which is actually really really positive. Defensively, you know, we we've we've had issues and and it's it's difficult within the sample to to not take into account the changes the team have had. But they're ranked 18th for for expected goals against, which is about 18.1. Um, but it's when you apply that to the table, and of course, there's loads of caveats with with statistics like this. Um, that that Fulham are actually more should be around 11 points, give or take, if you consider their results and the expected goals totals it depends on the model you use um but around 15th so um that's that's again that's that's actually better than perhaps what we've seen in terms of material results um but i guess that reflects how we've been been feeling a little bit about the way the team have been playing um fixtures are obviously important most of fulham's fixtures have been quote unquote easier um and then obviously there's been some tougher games of late, but that hasn't massively impacted the way the way the way Fulham have played. And actually, one of the one of the interesting stats that came out of the piece was that Fulham's win over Leicester was one of just three matches that reflected the the correct scoreline predicted by expected goals. Ah, um, which is uh, so they were fully deserving of a of the two one win. Um, that's for sure. But in in terms of how the team are performing, it's a good little barometer at this stage just to see how they're how they're doing and. The, the trends are actually quite positive. Um, perhaps trying, normally these trends sort of realign as the season goes on, or you'd hope to, or they're exposing some clear um, clear weaknesses, you know, terrible conversion rates such as Sheffield United, which is obvious they're not scoring the goals they should be. Um, but that's not really the case with, with Fulham at this point. Well, fingers crossed, as you say, with stats, it's very easy to say, oh, we should be 15th. But I guess what is being said is that over a season, if everything stays as it should be and statistics generally come true over time, don't they? That fingers crossed it will mean that Fulham are in a, in a good position this year. Right, let's get back to Sunday's game. We're going to take a little bit of a break and afterwards, Jack is going to be speaking to Neil from the Anfield Wrap. Welcome to Fulhamish's match preview before this weekend's big game against Liverpool. And I'm delighted to be joined by Mr. Neil Atkinson of the mighty Anfield Rap. Neil, thank you so much for joining me. It's an absolute pleasure, Jack. It's always great. I was made up, you just came up, to be honest with you, just for this moment. This yeah. is what I was in it for in that playoff final. It's um, you know, it was us or, or Billy the Bee. So you had you had a flip off there. And, you know, I'm glad I'm glad we all got the right decision made. Um, huge game, obviously, for us at the weekend. It's uh, one of those things where we've had a, a tough run of fixtures. Obviously, we had Everton, then Everton, then Leicester, then Man City, and then you guys. I don't think anyone was 
expecting to get much out of this, but we thought if the points were going to come, they were going to come against Everton. Obviously, when that didn't happen, those three games, Leicester, City, Liverpool, filled, felt a bit difficult. And, and suddenly we had three points out of the Leicester game. So I think everyone's kind of buoyant about the fact that we've got, even if we if we take nothing out of this, it's a point a game against Leicester, City, Liverpool. You'd be taking that all day long. What's it like from a Liverpool perspective? Because there's a sense that things have kind of settled since like the, the big defeat to Villa and and now it feels like things are just rolling in the right direction again for you guys. I think that that's really fair. Uh, we've got out the Champions League group with a game to spare, so we were able to rest a few uh, for the game against Michelin's. We still took everyone, which is interesting. I think he wants that sort of feeling of togetherness and that his squad, he didn't want to do a ton of kids, but he still, most of them got a rest. Salah got the full match. But I do think that there's somewhere within the Liverpool psyche where we do feel a little bit like we've got out of a bad patch. And when you want to talk about sort of tough runs of games, you know, we've played everyone directly around us with the exception of Tottenham and Manchester United. Everyone else, you know, so far we've played, we've, we've had Leicester, uh, you know, we've gone to Goodison, we had the Villa Park sort of debacle uh, within there as well. We've been to Stamford Bridge really early in the season. We've even faced Leeds so far who've, you know, impressed people to an extent. So we're feeling... I'm feeling at least relatively buoyant, to be honest with you. I feel as though it's very possible we've had our bad patch, uh, which, you know, just is a remarkable thing to say when you look at where we are, joined top, and as I say, out of the Champions League group. But it's very possible that that is the case, that Liverpool have had the toughest run of the seasons in terms of both injuries and also games and and, and outcomes from those games. And, and now we can just sort of look at what we found ourselves doing last season and the season before, which is going into games pretty confident uh, that we're, we're going to put in a performance at the very least, but also follow that up with the points. You mentioned the the injuries there, and I suppose that's the, the kind of main talking point for from where we're looking at it and seeing mm. who's going to be missing. The the question, I suppose, on everyone's lips is is Allison, right? And and Cleveland Keller has done absolutely beautifully. And and obviously, as an Ireland fan, I, I'm delighted that we've, you've unearthed the new shake given. But <laughs> uh, on a on a kind of personal capacity as a Fulham fan, I, I, I kind of hope he's in net this weekend as well because uh, you know we saw he, he's had two kind of reasonable unflappable games, and then yesterday caught out a little bit in the Michelin game. You know, not completely his fault, uh, as you kind mm. of point out, but it, it was one of those things you're like, okay, you can get to him. He also he is obviously still a kid. He has has something, and and Allison's brought so much to this side, obviously, in terms of what it's what's been for for this team. Yeah, I th- I'm intrigued to see what the manager does because I don't think he's. I think the way his philosophy is going to be about now players returning from injury is I don't think he's going to rush anyone. Because he can see that we're obviously still want to be in this season actively right the way through until May. The one thing I think he's not going to want to do, and I think what Liverpool have been really good at, not just across the last season or so, but I'd say across the last sort of four or five, is I think they're really good at policy decisions and then sticking to them. So if we've decided we're not rushing anyone back, then we're not rushing anyone back. It's that straightforward. Uh, and I think that that. Therefore, if Allison isn't quite right, then I don't think he'd be rushed back. The flip side is I suspect he could have played against Michelin. He may even been able to play the weekend before. That could have been last weekend's conversation. This yeah, weekend, yeah. he might just be ready uh, and ready to go from a Liverpool point of view. That said, Keller has done perfectly well. I think that the priority for Liverpool will be having Allison for the game against Tottenham. I think they won't want Kelleher in that environment uh, in what will be a massive match. So if there's any doubt whatsoever around Allison, then I suspect they will stick with Kelleher. That'll be the attitude and the outlook. But I just sort of think that might have been last weekend's conversation and this weekend, Becca might just be ready. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, a couple more, you, you know, we're obviously not going to see VVD back or, or anything like that. But but Thiago's been sort of here and there. And and James Milner, obviously, with with, a, with a hamstring injury that no one's completely and utterly sure about, you know, how long it's going to take and all those things. And again, Milner's not someone you want to be rushing back at his age and, and all these things. So So there's an element of this that's a little bit kind of... Is he going to bother pushing these players back if they're not fit for, yeah. for Fulham, like you say? I don't. Th- I don't think we're seeing Thiago now till January. Um, I think it'll be as straightforward as it'll, it. Almost again, I think they like to clarify their own decision-making processes. So I th- it wouldn't surprise me if they've had a conversation around Thiago. Someone said we could get him back for mid-December, and they thought, no, we never had a pre-season. Let's just get him. Make sure that when we get him back, we've got him for five months. Yeah. Um, and that's what I think they'll have done. Milner, similar. I think you know. I think that it's almost like in the manager's mind, he just wants to be able to say, well, I haven't even got to think about that. That one's gone. And I think that Milner won't make the week end and I suspect we'd like him back for the, the Christmas period to be quite honest with you where it's you know the three games quite back to back I think he'd like the option of Milner to start one of them and be on the bench for a couple so I think Liverpool are picking from a relatively small pool of players for this game coming up you know I, I think I can you know I'm quite confident I can say well the centre-half partnership will be, will be Matip and Fabinho yeah. uh, Robertson will start left back Henderson and Wijnaldum will both play uh, Mane and Firmino will both start as neither of them started against Michelin it would surprise me if Mo Salah starts from the bench having done the full uh, run of the game against Michelin's and I think that the priority again will be the Spurs game uh, so Salah will definitely obviously start the Tottenham game and then it'll be one of Jones and Keita in the middle of the park uh, to go with Henderson and Wijnaldum one of Salah and Jota as I say I think it might just be Jota because I don't think Jota will start Tottenham and then the big one from a sort of a weakness point of view I think from a Fulham perspective is I think he will start Nico Williams at right back um, and look to give him an hour and then give Trent another half an hour to get Trent ready for Tottenham and Nico does really really well uh, last couple of games he's played against Ajax uh, and then last weekend against Wolves um, so I'm not saying he's like some sort of glare and weak link but if you've got to pick one fullback to attack you're there on the one the young lad who's 19 who hasn't got 15 first team appearances over Andy Robertson yeah, yeah, and, and that's going to be where you'd imagine for Fulham that Admola Lookman will, will play and, and will look to attack that flank. And, and being our probably most creative spark, you, you look at that from a Fulham perspective and go, okay, maybe that's maybe that's the ball. And and it's been interesting because we, we, we've seen him do bits and bobs in, in, in the season so far and and has been that creative spark. But against Leicester, it was it was very much the other side. Mm. It was Christian Fuchs who was targeted, Bobby Reed over there and and Ivan Cavallero trying to get off that shoulder. So I think Parker has started to identify weaknesses and, and try and attack them. And, and that's something that we haven't seen necessarily from a Fulham perspective in quite a while. Yeah, I think that that's something which, I mean, we've been dealing with this for a while. Uh, you know, when we have a full strength back four, people attack Alexander-Arnold slash Gomez's side over Van Dijk and Robertson's side because mostly because of Van Dijk, you sort of leave Van Dijk alone and you try to go the other way. The one thing I'd say is from a Fulham perspective, I'd watch the Liverpool one too on this. You know, Leicester came to Anfield and we had Milner right back and they poured everything down the left and we said, great. We'll play from our right then. And Milner ran the game from right back when he was meant to be the weak link. And then from there, Liverpool had another midfielder in front of him. And then they had Salah on the right-hand side. And I think what we're quite good at is, is and have been good at for a while, is sort of saying, if you want to, if you think you're attacking our weakest point, watch us actually flip that. 
and suddenly we'll, so Henderson will pull and play really on the right hand side and suddenly Henderson's everywhere and everyone's going why is Henderson so involved in this game we're trying to play to our strengths and I think it's something Liverpool have been really good at for a while is, is taking what looks like this is the place to get at us and flipping it and saying well actually now we're going to run the game from this area and look there's now Andy Robertson and Sadio Mane have got loads of space because you put all your players on this side and I think it's something which as I say it's something that I would watch out for from a Fulham perspective I think the best way to sort of go at Liverpool on the whole is to try to be really quite holistic and think don't try not to try not to think about weak links and instead just sort of say what suits us where can we find the most joy and, and allow the game to sort of come at you it's a really easy thing to say managers love game plans and footballers love game plans yeah. but I think sort of seeing how a game develops a little bit against Liverpool is what sides don't seem to do and the other thing I think in general in football anyway I've noticed recently I noticed wan is getting a lot of grief for United and I think part of what's happened is that sides have started to actively attack him. Not act like he's a really good defender and will stay away from him, but actively go at him, discombobulate him, and then you knock the whole shape of that United side out. And I think the times I've always felt the best way to get at some teams is to actually go with the strongest link hurt the strongest link and then watch the whole side go, hang on, we can normally rely on that fella. Sides who, for instance, get about Wijnaldum make it hard for us because we rely on Wijnaldum to be really press resistant and to look yeah, after yeah. the ball for us. And then if, he, if we can't do that, we can be got at a little bit, I think. If that option's taken away from us because you've gone at the strongest bit of our, our team in terms of looking after that, we do suddenly go, well, hang on, that's a new problem. We haven't solved that one before. Yeah, and, and that battle in the middle will be interesting because Andre Frank Zambangis has been our, our best player, yeah. I'd suggest, this season by some distance and and has, you know, seems to step up his game against the big teams. We saw, you know, against City, that kind of whirlwind turn in the first minute to, to get himself out of trouble. And, and and I think that he's not shop-windowing himself because I think that's too harsh, but he is very much kind of like, I belong here and is still making a statement to say, I'm very capable in this league. And I think that's interesting. I think it's really interesting, but I think he also responds well when the game goes fast. And I think, because I think he can play at that pace. And I think that you, one of the things that I think happens to sides that come up or back into the Premier League, as is the case for Fulham, is it is that shock of suddenly these games can go really, really quickly. And I actually think that Anguissa is more than capable of matching that pace. It's a really interesting little thing that he, I think he rises to that pace, whereas a few other players of all the sides that come up or have been up even for a season, I think Sheffield United have really struggled this season when the pace of a game shifted. Whereas last season, I think they were able to hang on to the coattails of that and ride those periods out. This season, they've been swamped when that's happened. Yeah. But Anguissa looks as though he wants to play that fast to me. Like, come on, why can't we always, why can't it always be this quick? Uh, and I think that that's something which is really interesting. And shop window is, you know, it's, it isn't the right sort of way to think about it, but to, to demonstrate you can belong, belong at a class or a level. I think, for instance, Basuma is a, such a clever player and such a yeah, quick yeah. player at the heart of the Brighton midfield. I think there's a few players knocking around the Premier League at the minute who are playing inside who we expect to finish in the bottom half, who are able to say, but when your side comes to our ground and you play at your pace look I can live with it and I think it's a really really interesting thing and I think it is almost the thing that defines players at the minute in terms of where the ceiling is is how they deal with it when the game goes quick now, just before we we finish this off, I'd be mm-hmm. really intrigued as to your take on on Fulham this season because it's been a, a a strange old start, and then you you know it's it sort of settled down a bit. You know, we talked about that about Liverpool settling out of their rocky patch, or well, Fulham's I... rocky patch was dark, right? And then, but we settled a little bit. 
I honestly thought you weren't going to win a game uh, first <laughs> three or four. I thought, oh my God. It was one of them. We've started to do some fantasy football stuff this year on the Anfield rap. And genuinely on about week three, I put a thing in my phone to remind me to do the free hit thing and triple captain Man City players when you were playing when Fulham were playing Man City. And that came up on my phone and I decided against it because I thought this is actually a Fulham side that I've settled. Um, and Parker himself, what I think he deserves enormous credit for is that he's changed minds, both externally, but I think internally, and he's changed his own mind. So I think he's got a mentality now within that side. Like, I think, listen, I'll take any win at Fulham, and I'd always take any win in any game, but I don't think there'll be more than two goals in this at the end. I do think Liverpool will win, but I don't think we'll win by more than two. I don't think we're going there and we're going to be talking threes, fours, fives. I'd take I'd take what Manchester City got, a tight 2-0 and we get out, because I think that's where Fulham have ended up now. And they look more than capable of hurting you on the break. And a lot of the established players, he's been happy now to for at least a period, sideline. So he's changed his own mind about some of his own players. He's changed his, he's changed the minds of those players, I think, and improved that mentality and got them feeling like they're in games and they can live in games. And I think that that's so important. I think there isn't a game now for the rest of this season. Listen, there'll be an anomaly somewhere where Fulham will just have a bad day. But I think Fulham will feel like they're in every game for most of the game every time they take to the pitch now. And that didn't look like it was going to be the case, you know, first three or four. And I'm looking at this one at the weekend and I think it's potentially really sticky for Liverpool. You're just getting in and get out with anything you can. I think if we start fast, we can get a lead. I don't think, I think it's taken, the one thing I think that Barker's still got to deal with is I still feel like Fulham are a little vulnerable first 15. And then they suddenly go, hang on, we can do this. And then you see them grow. But if you're 1-0 down and you decide that, that's not great. If you're 2-0 down, and you realise that you can actually go at this level and the worst thing that can happen has happened, then that's not great either. But for me, I think that Fulham are in with a great shout now of staying up. And as I say, after three or four games, I'd have said the absolute opposite. Uh, but I do think that for the first time, I do feel a little bit like, I think Fulham can stay up. I don't think they will. I think West Brom can stay up. Sorry, I do think Fulham will. Uh, I don't. I think West Brom can stay up. I don't think they will. I think one of Fulham and West Brom might end up in a position where they can stay up. And I think Fulham look better than West Brom. Well... We'll take them all at this point. As we said at the start of the season, 17th on goal difference will bite you. Oh, yeah. So, um, so, yeah, well, thank you so much, Neil, for joining us. It's been a, a real pleasure as always. Oh, it's been terrific and uh, just great to see everything going well. Thank you, mate. And uh, obviously, for, for all your Liverpool content, the Anfield <laughs> Rap is the uh, the place to be as ever. Um, cheers, Neil. Take care now. Good luck. Take it easy. Bye. Well, thank you very much, Jack. That was a, a lovely chat with Neil. You've got... I've always got time for the Anfield Wrap, uh, one of my favourite fan publications out there. And uh, and nice to hear them have a, a, a soft spot for Fulham as well, Jack. Yeah, no, I mean, it, we have a good relationship with the lads at the Wrap and and they, they've they always come to us and, you know, obviously I said at the start, I was like, they must be delighted that it's us they get to talk to and not Billy the Bee. And, and you know, everyone's, everyone's <laughs> delighted about that. So off we go. Yeah, the Anfield rap there are watching the playoff final thinking it's either going to be Jack from Fulhamish or Billy the Bee I've got a chat to. So uh, when Joe Bride scored, they're probably celebrating as well. Love you, Billy. Uh, right. So uh, that's it for the podcast this week. I will be hosting Sunday's podcast, which means you know what's coming. It will be a defeat. Um, so uh, we can all look forward to that. Um, Jack, you're not going on Sunday, but you are going to the Brighton game. Peter, you are going on Sunday. Um, we spoke about it at the start of the podcast, but it's uh, it's going to be a great occasion. And um, I'm really happy for you, Peter, that finally you get to see what Craven Cottage is like whilst reporting for The Athletic with fans. Yeah, no, I'm really excited. It'd be good to see fans in the stadium. And I'm normally, I'm nearer the Putney end is where I'm seated generally. So you might, might see me on the front row. 
Um, so hopefully I'll see some of you there and um, hopefully we get some good results. It's nice to have back-to-back home games too. So yeah, that, that's, uh, yeah, it's going to be, I'm excited. I'm very excited. I'm in the Putney end for this and I, I don't know how to feel about it, to be honest. Uh, what I am sure about is that it's going to be really cold. Oh yeah. No, like, really sh- cold yeah, on like a that. Wednesday night with no shift from the, you know, no blocking from the river. The old, uh, old Thames is going to be nippy. So, so that's what I'm, um, Slightly yeah, concerned it, about wrap up, lads. Wrap up. It will be very cold. The the lack of the riverside stand it really does bite, especially at the moment. So be prepared. <laughs> well, I will feel really sorry for you whilst watching both games from home. Well, you should. You'll be warm, and you can get a beer after. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, thank you very much for listening today, Peter. Thank you for being on as always. Thank you, Sam. And Jack Collins. Thank you. Thank you, Sammy. We'll see you on Sunday. We'll hope for a win. And if you go into the game, enjoy it. Come on, you whites. Whites. Right.